0: Welcome to Legacy Women's Podcast, where we seek to encourage women in their relationship with God and one another through monthly conversations with the women of Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Ladies, we are starting this series, Women on the Bible, at the very beginning with Eve, whose name means life giver. She has so much to teach us this morning. She's going to, in a sense, take us by the hand and show us wisdom, warning, and wonder. She's gonna show us the wisdom in God's glorious, perfect design and creation. She's gonna warn us this morning by showing us the anatomy of a temptation. And she's gonna show us wonder, the glimmers of gospel hope from the very beginning. And all we have to do, should I take these off? They're clicking. Sorry. All we have to do is take a glance at any news app or social media site to recognize that we live in a confused and chaotic culture in this world. And sadly, that confusion and that chaos is increasingly creeping its way into the life of the church. We live in a world where the question, what is a woman, doesn't appear to have a clear answer anymore. Definition and boundaries are seen as restrictive, as enemies to self-expression. However, I would posit that without definition, there can be no meaning. Meaning depends upon definition. Meaning springs from definition. Where do we go when we want to find the meaning of a word? Well, we go to the dictionary where all the definitions are well sadly in this day and age even the dictionaries are letting us down so where do we as god's women go to find the truth that we need for life straight to the word of god in john 17:17 17, 17, when jesus was praying for his disciples and praying for us down through the ages he prayed sanctify them in the truth your word is truth The crucial need for us as women to hear and heed God's Word couldn't be more vital. There is going to be so much for us to celebrate as we explore in God's Word His perfect design, wisdom, will, and truth. And the women from Scripture that we're going to study this year are really going to take us by the hand on a journey of grace and truth. But I also wanna issue us a little heads up, ladies. As we endeavor to uphold the truth of God's word for us as women, we must not look to be celebrated by the world that we live in. We're not gonna be celebrated. Instead, we are most likely going to face fierce opposition. I just don't want us to be taken by surprise. I'm afraid it's going to be jeers, not cheers, we're going to be hearing from the world. That's why we need to cheer one another on. The 19th century Dutch theologian Herman Bavinck gave us fair warning over 100 years ago when he wrote, if we understand Christianity's warrant and maintain a desire to preserve her essence, then we can do nothing else but take a resolute position against the systems of the day and the worldviews of its own invention and fashioning. The times are too grave to flirt with the spirit of the age, and the deep, sharp contrast standing between the Christian faith and the modern person must provide us with insights that taking portions of each is not possible. However, lovely peace would be, the conflict is upon us. Indeed, it is. And in her wonderful book, Even Exile, Rebecca Merkel adds We have a fantastic opportunity in front of us, but we also have a hostile audience. We are in the position of Nehemiah, returning from exile and trying to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, while the culture outside jeers. But if I could stand in any moment, this is the one I would pick. We have a huge opportunity in front of us, and I hope we can make the most of it. Ladies, we too have a fantastic opportunity, and here's our opportunity to have these women from Scripture, starting today with Eve, to help us build and restore biblical womanhood in all its beauty in all its vitality, in all its strength, in all its variety, to offer encouragement and fortitude to the the believer, to build our families, to build the church, to offer hope and help to the lost, to offer clarity and peace to the confused, to offer repentance and faith to the rebel. God's word never returns void, Isaiah tells us, without accomplishing his purpose. That's my confidence this morning. So, let's start with Eve, the mother of us all. She offers us three gifts this morning. She offers us wisdom by showing us the glory of God's perfect design in creation. She offers us warning by showing us the anatomy of a temptation. And she's gonna offer us wonder glimmers of gospel hope from the beginning. So ladies, please open your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter 1. And buckle up, because we are going to make stops in Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, and Genesis chapter 3 as Eve takes us on this journey. Eve offers us wisdom. And I just want to make note of a few things as we jump in. In Genesis chapter 1, It's the panoramic view of creation. It's the wide-angle lens view of the six days of creation. It's like viewing creation from the vantage point of a drone. Genesis chapter 2 is like the zoom-in lens focusing on Adam and Eve, supplying us with added detail. In Genesis chapter 1, the panoramic view, the word Elohim is used for God the omnipotent, transcendent creator. In Genesis chapter 2, the zoomed-in view, the word Yahweh Elohim is used for God, Lord God. This is God's personal name, covenant redeemer. The ESV notes describe it as Yahweh Elohim, covenant redeemer, underlining the personal and relational nature of God. Remember this point because it's going to show up significantly later on in Eve's story. And as God speaks creation into existence, he says in Genesis 1 some form of let there be at least nine times. Let there be light, let the waters, let the dry land, let the birds fly, let the earth bring forth. But in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 something changes. Listen for it. Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Did you hear it? The narrative changes from let there be to let us make from according to their own kind to after our likeness. Ladies, a let there be is wow. A let us make, wow. Genesis 1, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. In the entire creation narrative, Adam and Eve, man and woman, are the only creatures that God has designed in his own image. This should take our breath away. Kent Hughes, in his commentary on Genesis, writes of this verse verse 27 is the first poetry in the Bible. This is the high point toward which God's creativity from the opening verse is directed. So consider this. Though you could travel a hundred times the speed of light, past countless yellow-orange stars to the edge of the galaxy, in all your stellar journeys, you would never see anything equal to the wonder of a human being, boy or girl created in the image of God, the Imago Dei. Ladies, listen. The most brilliant, spectacular stars, the most brilliant galaxies, have you seen any of the pictures coming back from the James Webb telescope? The most brilliant stars are a let there be. You and I, a let us make. That is simply stunning. God, in his perfect wisdom, created human beings. And he created them, male and female. Two sexes to uniquely reflect his image and his glory. Two distinct sexes, every man and woman, every boy and girl are created in the image of God. Every man and woman, every boy and girl are created to uniquely reflect God's glory as a man or as a woman. So, it makes sense that to warp God's glory, God's design would be a crucial target for undermining, distorting, and destroying. Ladies, I am not trying to be alarmist, but the stakes simply couldn't be higher because to go after God's design is to go after God himself. To quote our own Jeff Perswell, to abolish gender is to distort God. We live in a time when the very truths of God's wise design of male and female are under wholesale assault. The other day I googled how many genders are there? And I was informed that along with male and female, there are 72 other genders. 72? Our culture proclaims that true freedom and real meaning comes from kicking over all the boundaries. No restraints, no definition. But ladies, in reality, it is definition. It is design that brings meaning. Rebecca Merkel, again from her book, Even Exile. True freedom has to recognize boundaries. In the same way that the out of bounds lines and the fixed and unchanging 10 foot hoops in basketball are what create the court itself and therefore the ability to play the game, so too the boundaries of gender are what create the possibility of excelling as a woman. The lines define and create the space in which excellence can thrive. But if there are no lines, I may as well chuck it and decide to be a penguin instead. (laughs) And this is where the truth of God's word brings us so much help and hope. We live in a world where so many are wondering, so many are confused. So many are wrestling, and some are rebelling. But the answer is still God, his design, his truth, his word. All you have to do is read Psalm 19, 7 through 11 to remind yourself what the truth does. The law of the Lord is perfect. Doing what? Oh, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Doing what? Oh, making wise the simple the precepts of the lord are right doing what rejoicing the heart the commandment of the lord is pure doing what oh enlightening the eyes giving us discernment and clarity moreover by them your servant is what warned protected and keeping them there is what great reward oh remind yourself what the truth of god's word does and eve is there the very first woman created by God, in the image of God, reminding us to rejoice in and to fight for womanhood. Because reveling in God's wise design, it proclaims his goodness. It reflects his glory. It holds up his wisdom and it fulfills his good purposes in our lives and in the lives of those we love. And Adam and Eve are then given a job description by God to reflect God, Genesis 1, 28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Ladies, up until now, God has proclaimed, let there be, and God has named, and God has blessed, and now, for the first time, and God said to them. God speaks to Adam and Eve, and a relationship begins unlike any other relationship between God and his creation. I hope we are all going, That this is what this is to do for us. God's design, oh my. God speaks to Adam and Eve, giving them a unique job description to reflect him, to image him, to glorify him. Be fruitful, multiply, fill, subdue, have dominion. One commentary I read described Adam and Eve as vice regents over his creation. God's job description that Eve passes on down to us, her daughters, to reflect God, that job description is going to unfold uniquely for each of us in every season of life, as single, married, widowed, young, or old. But what a glorious calling to honor and reflect him. Oh, be fruitful, multiply, fill, subdue, rule, have dominion. Are you in all yet? We surely should be. Our next step in our journey with Eve begins in Genesis chapter two, verse eight. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. Down to Genesis 2:18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. If we go back to the creation narrative, as God speaks creation into existence, it's almost as though he couldn't contain himself. Five, at least five times, God saw that it was good. As he is creating the universe by speaking, at the end it's like, that's really good. And God saw it was good. He repeats that no less than five times, highlighting his goodness. The not good here is meant to be a jarring contrast to all the God saw that it was goods up to this point. And God's resolution to resolve that not good comes next. God initiates an awareness program for Adam by parading all the animals in creation before him to name them and to discover that his helper is not among them. And then God creates a woman. Genesis 2, verses 20 to 22. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Down to Genesis 2, 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Genesis 2, 24 is a crucial scripture in today's confused world because it is the clear and concise Declaration of God's design for marriage from the very beginning. As the ESV Study Bible notes, God creates one Eve for Adam, not several Eves or another Adam. Ladies, in a culture that wants to loudly proclaim, hey, love is love, or love is whatever your feelings make it, God actually says, well, no, I am the creator and designer of true, holy, humble, and happy love and marriage between one man and one woman. It just couldn't be clearer from Scripture. Genesis 2:18 again. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. This is a job description from God for every married woman here today, and it is a job description given before the fall of Adam and Eve into sin, and it is a job description given by God, not Adam. This is a job description of God's making, not man's invention. Helper, what does helper mean? Corresponding counterpart, matching opposite. The Hebrew word Ezer, it, it's one who supplies strength that in the area that is lacking in the helped. One who supplies strength in the area that is lacking in the helped. The ESV study Bible says that fit for him, matching him, it's not the same as like him. A wife is not her husband's clone. She complements him. She supplies strength in the area that is lacking in the one that needs the help our unique help to our own husband is going to be as unique as the husband that God has blessed us with. And I think each one of us knows that our husband isn't perfect, but although mine's almost perfect, yet when they lack, we can be surprised, perplexed, dismayed, bewildered, even exasperated, right? What I hope is that we will have new eyes and fresh faith to see that in our calling as wives, God has given each one of us unique strength in the area that is lacking in the one who needs the help. I remember getting off the phone with Gary. He's planning some event. I was very exasperated because it just wasn't in my humble opinion, planned very well. So I hung up the phone and I started ticking off in my mind. He didn't think of that. Why didn't he think of that? That wasn't done very well. It was as though the Holy Spirit tapped me on the shoulder and said, "Um, excuse me, what is your role again? Are you the resident critic or the helper? Get on with your job. (laughs) I was very convicted by that. Ladies, when we see the help needed sign that God has posted on our husband's forehead, let's purpose to see God's design in it all. There are opportunities ahead, opportunities to offer help. We've got to stop being surprised by the fact that help is needed. God actually put that there so that we have strength to help. There are opportunities, opportunities to offer help, to supply strength that God gives us to help them. We are not merely to be the recipients of our husband's leadership. We have a vital role to play in making our husband's leadership fruitful and successful. When I become convinced of my vital and crucial role as helper, at least two things happen. First, I am so much more aware of just how hard leading is. There is nothing like leaning your shoulder in to help carry the, bear the load to really feel and see just how heavy the load is. And I am humbled. The second thing is I have a greater and growing appreciation and gratitude and respect for my husband in all the efforts that he has to lead us you ever helped your husband carry in something heavy from the car to the house and then marveled on the way in how much more weight he carried in than you but he couldn't bring it in alone as a matter of fact So many details had to be navigated as you were bringing that thing in. Get it out of the car, close the car door, navigate around things in the garage, open the garage door, get it in, figure out where it's supposed to go, then put it down (laughs) Jeff. That may seem to be a bit of a silly illustration, but without each one of us embracing our God-designed role, the package is going to remain in the car, or broken on the garage floor. But when we do embrace our God-designed role and carry it through to the best of our ability to be that helper supplying the strength needed, oh, God is honored, and his glory is reflected, and his gospel is adorned. So what was Eve's God-designed job description that she passes down to us, her daughters, Listen and marvel at God's goodness. Oh, be fruitful, multiply, fill, subdue, have dominion, help. Well, what does this look like for us, her daughters? Ladies, the scope is vast. Are you a writer and a songwriter like Miriam? You can read about her in Exodus. Are you a skilled negotiator like Abigail? You can read about her in First Samuel. Are you hospitable like Martha? Read about her in Luke. Are you filled with good works and acts of charity like Dorcas? Are you a teacher like Priscilla? Are you a businesswoman like Lydia, who opened her home in hospitality to Paul? Are you a student like Mary? Are you doing what you can to follow in the footsteps of the woman, the wife, and the mother of Proverbs 31? The scope is vast, and our God-imaging, God-glorifying job description as a woman is designed to be pointed not inward, not selfward, but outward and othersward. Even exile, Rebecca Merkel, I can't say this any better. No Christian should ever really be asking, how can I fulfill myself? the question should always be pointed outward. Who can I bless? How can I use my gifts to build up those around me? How can I embrace my femininity in such a way that I shine the light of the gospel into a lost and sinful world? How can I be truly excellent in the opportunities that God has placed in front of me? Oh, the answers will vary wildly, but the questions are always the same for every woman married single, old, young. Next, Eve takes us by the hand to warn us by showing us the anatomy of a temptation. First, in Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17, we're going to read what God actually commanded about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the midst of the Garden of Eden. Genesis 2, 16 and 17, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Ladies, we are going to find in Eve's story that what God actually says is crucial for us to remember, always. In Genesis 3, chapter 3, verse 1, we're introduced to the serpent. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field the Lord that the Lord God had made. Do you hear the warning from the very beginning? At the very beginning, we are given the alert, watch out for the serpent. He is crafty, he is shrewd, he is subtle. Oh ladies, there is a devil, the father of lies, masquerading as an angel of light out there. There is a world And that world acts like a hall of mirrors intensifying those lies. And there is my flesh attracted to and tempted by the dazzling light of those lies. And at the very beginning, we are given the alert. Be wise, be wary, know when and where the dangers lurk, without and within. What lies dazzle us? What crafty foes are holding out the bait? Social media, in all of its uh, wonders, carries myriad dangers. Social media, and all its platforms, it, it, it has done wonderful things, but sometimes I look at it as the head of Medusa. <laughs> what in me is attracted to the bait? Ladies, to be forewarned is to be forearmed. The serpent then speaks to Eve, Genesis 3, 1b. He said to the woman, did God actually say, oh ladies, the serpent begins with subtlety and a deadly dialogue begins. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, oh, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. The very first thing to notice in this dialogue is that the serpent doesn't use God's personal covenant name and neither does Eve. Remember earlier on, I mentioned to remember how God's personal name, Lord God, is used starting in Genesis 2. Lord God, covenant redeemer, describing his, underlining the personal and relational nature of God. God's personal name is not used by the serpent or Eve in their dialogue, but dropped. Why? To create a distortion of God, distance from God, and distrust of God. Do you hear Eve warning us to remember who God is at all times? To remind one another who he is? To be alert to any distancing from, any distortion of, or any distrust of God in the gospel? And then the serpent seems to ask, what an innocent question. Did God actually say? In his commentary on Genesis, Derek Kidner writes of this, The tempter begins with suggestion rather than argument. The incredulous tone, so has God actually said, is both disturbing and flattering because it smuggles in the assumption that God's word is subject to our judgment. Did God actually say, is that what God really means? Isn't God being unreasonable? Doesn't God want me to be happy? Oh, ladies, beware the smuggling operation before it starts. Subtlety, suggestion, and now exaggeration. Genesis 3, 1b through 3 again. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, oh, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. The serpent exaggerates. You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Well, why the exaggeration? Well, to malign the goodness and the kindness of God, to cast God as stingy and miserly And ladies, here's where Eve has the opportunity to set the serpent straight. But instead, she swallows the bait and adds her own exaggeration. She could have said, no, serpent, you are wrong. God said we may eat of, remember, every tree in the garden, but one. But instead, she adds her own exaggeration. God is actually so harsh that just to touch it and you die, God said no such thing. Beware exaggeration. It is an evil, slippery slope. And the serpent successfully tempts Eve into discontent with abundance for the lack of one tree. And here's the thing. The tree itself is good. The scripture describes it as good for food, a delight to the eyes, desirable to make one wise. It's just that at this point, God has said no. But at this point, it is the one thing that Eve has her gaze transfixed on. She has an entire garden freshly created by God for her and Adam to thoroughly explore to tend and to enjoy. And yet, amidst all that abundance, it's that one thing that, that she sees, that she can't have, that she sees, and she becomes blind to the abundance around her. And how I emulate her on a daily basis when my discontent and my coveting blinds me to the 101 t- big and little joys, as Os Guinness writes in his book, God in the, in the Dark. 101 tiny joys. Actually, 101 big and little joys that fill my days. 101 joys fill my days, but I am blind to them because I only have eyes for the thing that I lack. You know what the cure for the blindness of discontent is? Gratitude. Gratitude will bring our sight back. So, ladies, let's be on the lookout for the mercies that fill our days. Our senior pastor has said often look out for those post it notes of grace that are slapped all over the people and events of your day. And the old Scottish Puritan, the old Scottish pastor, George MacDonald, said, Obedience will be the opener of your eyes. Start being grateful and you will find more to be grateful for. You are going to find what you hunt for. Start looking, you'll see more and more. Gratitude gets more work done than we think. Subtlety, suggestion, exaggeration, and now, contradiction. Blatant and direct. Contradiction and Eve has been perfectly set up for this contradiction by suggestion. Did God actually say by exaggeration, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? By more exaggeration, not only that, I can't even touch it. Genesis 3 verses 4 and 5. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. "'knowing good and evil.'" Ladies, this direct contradiction, if it had been said at first, would have been spotted right away by Eve. She would have nabbed it, but once God's character has been assaulted and his goodness and generosity portrayed as stinginess and his holiness attacked as unreasonable, she's been perfectly set up for this contradiction. And instead of it being startling or jarring to her, it sounds reasonable. And she bites. As Derek Kidner has written, Eve listened to a creature instead of the creator, followed her impressions against her instructions, and made self-fulfillment her goal. In her craving to be God, Eve listens not to God, the creator, the one who made her in his image, but to the creature the serpent, the irony. She doesn't listen to the creator. She listens to the creature. She follows her impressions instead of her instructions. How fickle and changeable our impressions so often are. How trustworthy and sure God's instructions in his word are. And self-fulfillment, self-fulfillment is a black hole. As Charles Spurgeon has written, You can depend upon it. Where self begins, sorrow begins. Ladies, Eve comes alongside us and warns us clearly and emphatically. She comes alongside to help us navigate the temptations so common to us all. Beware subtlety, beware suggestion, beware exaggeration, oh, beware of contradiction. Eve comes alongside us, and I want to encourage us to come alongside one another as sisters and friends and mothers and daughters to help one another navigate the temptations that we all so commonly face. In his book, God in the Dark, Us Guinness writes, Martin Luther, a man of deep emotions, was very realistic at this point. Eve got into trouble, he wrote, when she walked in the garden alone. I have my worst temptations when I am by myself. Boy, isn't that the truth? Ladies, we should seek help from one another. Watch out for being alone, the snare of being alone, with our impressions, our wrestlings, our thoughts, our emotions, our temptations. God has given us one another as gifts Let's seek help from one another, spotting temptation in all its subtlety, suggestion, exaggeration, and contradiction. What is it that Paul Tripp says? Our self-perception is as accurate as a carnival mirror. We need somebody else to help us see, to help us see that God is always near. God is always personal. He is always Yahweh Elohim. He is always powerful, always good, patient, kind, merciful, and mighty. God's word is always trustworthy. And obedience to God and his word is always the door to life and liberty. And once Eve is successfully tempted, we know what happens next. Sin, fallenness, death, curse, and hiding from God and from one another. Genesis 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Tragic. As one commentator wrote, the woman listens to the serpent, the man listens to the woman, and nobody listens to God. (laughs) of sin and shame and hiding eve offers us wonder glimmers of gospel hope from the very beginning notice first lord god yahweh elohim is used again three times god covenant redeemer his personal name he is here he is pursuing He is the gracious and relentless initiator. He comes looking for Adam and Eve, and he comes looking for us. The Lord God called, where are you? It's not like God doesn't know where they are or what they have done. Their hiding from God is a pathetic delusion. It it reminds me of, you ever played hide and seek with a three-year-old? And they cover their eyes and they think you can't see them because it's like that. God knows where they are and what they have done. He comes. He seeks. He calls. He draws them out. Do you hear gospel hope from the very beginning? In Luke 19.10, Jesus says of himself, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. In Revelation 3 verse 20, he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. From Genesis to Revelation, he is the relentless and gracious initiator to seek and save us. Amazing grace. There may be someone here today trying to hide and you may successfully hide from family and friends, but you will never successfully hide from the God who made you, the God who loves you, and the God who sent his son to die on a cross for the very things you may be trying to hide. God is calling out to you, asking, where are you? Not to condemn you, but to draw you to him to confess your sin, to receive the forgiveness of your sin and the peace with God found only in Jesus Christ. Peace with God and peace within are only a conversation and a prayer away. And remarkably, in the midst of God's judgment on the serpent, on Eve and on Adam, found in Genesis 3, verses 14 through 19, comes this promise in the very midst of the judgment. Comes this promise. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. An entire message could just spring from this verse. John MacArthur, in his book, 12 Extraordinary Women, describes this verse though framed as a malediction against the tempter. That part of the curse was a bright ray of light for Eve. Here was an explicit promise that her seed would bruise the evil one's head. She could not possibly have grasped the full scope of the divine pledge concealed in those words, but she could hardly have failed to take heart from what she heard what eve perhaps couldn't grasp fully we can satan would indeed bruise jesus's heel but jesus crushed the evil one's head crushed sin crushed death because god crushed him jesus crushed the evil one's head and he brings eternal life to those of us who believe in him gospel hope in the midst of the judgment of God. Amazing grace. In Genesis 3.20, another gospel glimmer appears. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Previously, in Genesis three verse 7 we're informed that Adam and Eve make their own attempts to cover themselves and fix things. They sewed fig leaves together to make themselves loincloths. Have you ever tried to sew leaves together? Insufficient doesn't even come close to describing it. And here is another glimmer of gospel hope. God doesn't leave it to Eve and Adam to clothe themselves. God doesn't leave it to Eve and Adam to fix things. God clothes them himself. God fixes it. God provides clothing to cover them, not leaves because the covering for their sin is going to require sacrifice, the first sacrifice of animals, foreshadowing the Passover lamb and pointing to an even greater death, pointing to Christ, the lamb of God, sacrificed once for all that we might be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. There are so many glimmers of gospel hope in Genesis chapters 1 through 3. I'm only going to touch on one more, but I encourage you to study Eve yourself and glean the wisdom and the warning and the wonder that she holds for us all. Genesis 3, verse 20. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Eve means life giver. Ladies, I don't know about you, but up until this point, it looks like the decisions that Eve has made have been wrecking balls, not, they're bringing death and destruction, not life-giving. And yet, it is after she sins and after God's judgment for that sin, she is called life-giver. Life gets the final word because God gets the final word. God is the author of life and the author of new life in Christ. And we, dear ladies, have the opportunity to walk in Eve's legacy as life givers to reflect God's wisdom and glory by reveling in and holding up and fighting for his perfect design and purpose for us as women In each and every season of life to heed Eve's warning to listen to the Creator not the creature to follow our instructions found in God's Word and most definitely not our impressions and to make serving rather than self-fulfillment our goal and to rejoice in the gospel the eternal life-giving gospel and to share that joy with others all around us.